all those years of patience, I'll just have to remember that because the patience that I had to get into the race is the exact type of patience that I need to do well in the race. I'm Michael Owen, and I've waited seven years to run the Western States 100. Welcome to Training for Ultra, the podcast. Welcome to episode 46 of the Training for Ultra podcast. My name's Rob. I also go by Training for Ultra, and I have an inspirational episode for you guys. It's the seven-year journey, Michael Owen and his path to finding his way to the start line at Western States. It's coming up here very shortly. Um, let's go right to a audio file. It's actually from my YouTube video. If you want to see the whole thing, if you're on the treadmill or needing a little extra inspiration, you're, you're welcome to pull that up. But let's go right to it, the seven-year journey with Michael Owen. So when I started ultra running in 2011, I was fresh out of college. I was healthy, running upwards to 160, even peaking out like 175 miles a week. And Western States was always kind of the goal for me. You know, even though I knew I couldn't just easily get in. Um, it's just a race that people use as a benchmark because it has so much history and that appealed to me. Um, I never imagined seven years later I'd just now be getting into the race due to the popularity of, of how many people try to get in to Western states. You know, and so each year when the lottery comes around, I'm sitting there looking at the screen hoping that my name gets called and you know, for six straight years I was disappointed. I also attempted to get in the race via a golden ticket race five different times and had come within a minute and a half and one place on a handful or a couple times. And so it started over the course of the seven years it started to become this elusive race for me and um, you know of course like you internalize that pressure on yourself of like trying to get in that race you know I know there's many other people trying to get into the same race in the same way as I am you know but so over the years you know ultra running has changed you know seven years is a long time and you know I'm no longer that young fresh out of college runner who could throw down 150 mile weeks so you know literally my weekly mileage is half or less than half of that total but at the same time, you know, what I lack in that high volume training of my younger days, I have a lot more experience. So kind of in a blessing, you know, kind of a blessing in disguise, you know, over the course of seven years, I've got to explore different races and I've, I've had, I have 700 mile um, races under my belt now. And yeah, you know, I might not be able to throw down the big mileage weeks of, of my younger years but you know I have so much more experience um, so I'm not you know I'm not down on myself about the lack of mileage um, 
you know, so you just learn so much from experience and that's something I didn't have in 2011 or 2012 when I was first trying to get into Western States. So now in 2018, you know, I can take that experience and yeah, I'm real excited about Western States. I, I, have, I have high hopes of, you know, potentially finishing the top 10, you know, after not getting in for seven years. Top 10 is a really, really uh, enticing goal because it guarantees your entry into the next year. Um, I don't know if I want to wait seven more years and go through the same process, um, you know, even though I would continue putting my name in the lottery. So, so yeah, I'm real excited about Western States this year. It's going to be a really fun year. Um, you know, the seven-year journey will really mean a lot when you when I step on the line in Squaw Valley on June 23rd, and you know all that years, all those years of patience, I'll just have to remember that because the patience that I had to get into the race is the exact type of patience that I need to do well in the race. I'm Michael Owen, and I've waited seven years to run the Western States 100. If you're not inspired after hearing that, I'm sorry, I don't know what else to give you. I mean, talk about patience and waiting for something. Um, and he has managed to stay healthy and, you know, he's he started a family. He now has two kids. So um, I think his story is awesome. We had him on podcast 11 for the full background. And then um, here in just a few minutes, we will talk about this video, talk about Western States and you know some training advice that you know he might have and um i'm not a coach i don't think michael coaches anymore so but it's interesting to see some of his insights so i wanted to change things up um patreon supporters kim r has finished her first 50k and she was really nervous going into it within our closed group you know she's asking advice and kind of getting more comfortable with the idea so big congrats to kim on you know completing her first 50k and she picked a a nice hard one to start off with so congrats there and then travis s well done on your 20 miler he said that um he kind of surprised himself and uh he crushed it so congrats on that front and then i get hundreds of questions and i never really share them um it's a little overwhelming at times just because this isn't my full-time job you know I do this as fun and honestly I have a lot of time devoted to training so uh, the time I devote to YouTube videos and to kind of interacting with people and you know recording the podcast and doing interviews it's it's a huge time suck but I love it I don't really get paid anything to do it I'm just trying to break even here if anything um but I do get a lot of emails. I'm going to try to share more of them. So um, let's see here. Kate said she sent an email. Hi there. I wanted want to tell you I discovered your podcast. Have just gotten caught up from the beginning. Great job. I love the interviews, race recaps, updates, discussions. So inspiring. In fact, despite being pregnant with baby number four, I registered for a 10-hour race in May. Um before I got pregnant, I had been hoping to run the North Face 50K in North in New York, but I figured a 10-hour loop course might be smarter considering the circumstances. 
So I likely won't be going an ultra distance, but I will see how my body reacts. I actually considered getting some hammer products to try in training. Um, thanks for the suggestions. Congrats on your growing family. Uh, thanks again. Keep up the great work. Kate, that sounds awesome. Um, hope everything's going well. Uh, I know we just had our newborn recently. And then um, Matt K. Hey, Rob. I wanted to tell you that I, I love what you're doing. Three years ago, I started running and had never heard of ultra running. I started watching Ginger Runner shoe reviews and didn't believe him when he mentioned distances over 26.2. I finished my first 50 miler in May, Quad Rock. I still have those pictures you took of me. I also then raced the Devil on the Divide 50K and won my age group with the top 10 overall finish. That race is incredible. I can't recommend it highly enough. I've been inspired by your story and your photos since day one. I'm also loving the podcast. Thank you, Matt. It's an awesome email to get. Um, let's see, I have, let's see, Corey S. Hey, Rob, I messaged you a few months ago um, about how I was inspired by your journey and I had signed up for my first marathon. Ran it today in 414 and felt great. Awesome experience. Had a blast. More to come. Thanks for your content and all the positivity. Good luck at Silver King. And then Corey's original message was, Hey, Rob, I just wanted to say how much I enjoyed your content and appreciate your story. Running, specifically ultra running, is something that always fascinated me, but I assumed I couldn't do it since I'm not a natural, naturally talented runner and just assumed those people were genetic freaks. Your story inspired me a lot to finally start down the path. I'm signed up for my first marathon in May, training consistently for it. It'll be the, four, the first organized race I've ever done. Keep up the great work, man. It's much appreciated and very inspiring. So that's awesome to hear. I love those follow-up emails because I do try to get back to everyone that messages me. Um, sometimes it takes a while, but um, I make a point to get back to people because I've sent messages that don't get returned and it makes you feel bad about yourself. So, um, again, it's like a huge, uh, amount of time I have to devote to it, but I think, uh, it's well worth it if I'm inspiring people to get out and go after those ambitious goals or, you know, whatever inspires them, even if it's just getting out for a hike. Um, Rex asked, asked uh, a few weeks ago for a Chris Patterson update. Um, Chris, I think, did the 50. He was trying for 100 miles. He ended up doing 50 and having to drop due to some foot issues. And, uh, you know, thoughts are with Chris. I think he's in a rough spot right now, so I'm going to hold off, you know, bugging him for now. But, uh, yeah, he did did 50 miles, which is awesome. Um, Dre asks, how many miles weekly do I run? Uh, I mean, it depends on which week it is within what training block. So, I work backwards from my race that I have coming up. So going into the Leadville Marathon that I have coming up next week, like I'm doing basically a marathon type mileage, um, but I'm always fairly light in mileage because I'm only two and a half years into running and I'm pretty injury prone. Um, But I capped off a seven day uh, straight, I think I ran nine days straight or 10 days straight, but seven day block that was like 55 miles they kind of peaked out into this Leadville race. And I'm using this Leadville race as a training run into Silver King, which is the mountain bike 50 
and the 50-mile run in early July, and those are leading into Never Summer. So I use uh, a lot of races as, like, long training runs. And let's see here. I'm trying to get to another few messages, and hopefully you guys enjoy this. Give me a heads up. If, if this is torturous, let me know. I'm just trying to keep you guys inspired. Um, truly, truly just trying to um, inspire you to get out for that run. Uh, let's see. Your podcast is amazing. I'm getting so excited for my first 50K, listening to your entire catalog. Keep up the great work. And I have two other ones. Let's see. Tiffany M., she wants to know more about recovery and foam rolling, and she's hoping to do like an episode on that, and I, I might really try to do that. Um, but for recovery, I like after a big race, like a 100 miler, I'll force myself not to run. Foam, foam rolling, I try to actually roll out my legs quickly before I go out and run, and then more extensively afterwards. I'd say a total of like five minutes pre-run if I'm going to run beyond like six miles and uh and that's just mostly from me having tight hamstrings and just tight legs in general and then yeah afterwards trying to force myself on to roll out my quads and uh IT bands I think IT band rolling with a foam roller is like one of those keys because it connects right to your knees um, but again, I'm not a coach. This is just what I've learned from my own experience. So, Tiffany, thank you for the question. And then Angie S., who has been working on a doctorate, uh, a dissertation, and studying, so she hasn't been, like, perfectly up-to-date with the podcast. I told Angie, like, where are your priorities? Come on, train for ultra podcast versus a dissertation? Um, but she asked for a keto uh, diet update, and... I have been on and off again. I have been trying to keep my carbs down, but I would say I'm more tilted towards paleo now. So that's it's basically been my diet since I got off um, 30 days of pretty extreme like Joe Cross juicing. Um, I just kind of naturally progressed into that. And uh, yeah, the stress of a newborn has not helped my situation. So... Um, but my big training block, I, I was able to get out so my wife would go to bed um, with the newborn. And it, I swear, it was like anytime it was hot out, like when the temperature hit 90 degrees was when they both both passed out and uh, went to bed. Um, that's when I found myself getting out for an hour and a half to two hours every day. Um, and so I got some really solid heat training in and got some really good miles on the bike and got some miles running. Um but yeah, when I hit those bigger blocks, um, yeah, it's kind of the periodization type concept. So trickling in more carbs than normal is okay. So I knew that I was, I was uh, for me personally, uh, you know, upping my training compared to, I think I'm roughly about 30 to 35 miles per week, just on average long term. So when, when I go above 50 miles a week, for me, it's a lot. I know some people that's like nothing, but that's that's what works for me. And so I wasn't scared to have, you know, some tacos and, you know, add in those some corn because I know my body can handle that. I try to stay away from rice and wheat um, just because for whatever reason it causes a little bit more infl inflammation along with sugar for me. So I hope that's a good enough update. And, um, yeah, I'll try to share more of these because for every single negative 
uh, review, you know, someone hates the sound of my voice. Well, sorry, I can't help that. Um, I get 10 messages or 20 messages, like, you know, people that are going for personal aspirations and they're not just saying, oh, someday I want to do a 50K. Like, they're actually signing up for them and they're getting motivated and it inspires me. Like, I, again, I don't, I don't get anything out of this other than I just love inspiring people to get out and run. So get after it. Enjoy this uh, conversation I have with Michael Owen. And, uh, yeah, we, we should really support him. Man, if I was out there, I'd be cheering for him. He's been so patient. So thanks for your guys' support. And uh, I do have to thank the sponsors, Hammer Nutrition. So they just came out with a cola-flavored fizz, which I use, um, electrolyte fizz. I've used it in every ultra all, all 14 of them in the past two and a half years. So um, they've been with me in my water bottle, added electrolytes. And so this new fizz is cola flavored, which I'm looking forward to. And then it also has some caffeine. So it has 20 milligrams of caffeine. And I am giving away um, three tubes of it, which is like a month month supply that um, I wanted to give to someone who did the Strava group run. So we had 120 people sign up for the uh, virtual group run we had last week which i was i was amazed at i thought that was so awesome that so many people were motivated to sign up for that and get out and run so um yeah huge thank you for everyone doing that and so totally random brooke h from iowa uh you are the virtual group run winner of the hammer fizz that new cola flavor so um yeah, just message me on Instagram or wherever, and we will send that off to you. So I think you'll win a, a month's supply, which is really solid, and um, hopefully you enjoy it. And thanks again to everyone who participated in that virtual group run. Again, blown away, like 120 people, and I it was really short notice. So um, you can check out the Training for Ultra Strava Run Club, too, if, if you're interested. Um, so thank you again to Hammer Nutrition for giving the free product away and if you didn't win that uh you have another opportunity so check out my instagram post and i'm giving away uh six more tubes so two two more winners so you just have to um participate on that update and you can be entered to win and i'm just picking these totally at random and thank you to sufferfest beer so their new fkt beer is my new personal favorite um, I had my sister over and her boyfriend, and I opened two cans of it to have them try it out. Didn't mention that it was gluten removed or anything, and they just liked the flavor of it. They didn't know there were electrolytes in it or vitamin C or anything. They just really liked the flavor of the beer. I do too. I'd, I'd highly uh, recommend it. I, for me, I think if you live in California or Colorado and can get a get a hold of it, um, I think it's like the beer of 2018 to try if you're like an athlete. Um, and yeah, I, I truly enjoy it. So thank you to Hammer Nutri or Sufferfest Beer there. And if you think I'm editing, so you had to leave that in. Um, and then Tommy Byrne, Bigger Than the Trail, raising awareness of mental health. And they utilize the trails to do so. This week, I think mental health took uh, center stage. And, um, yeah, if you're battling that stuff, don't internalize it. Don't hold to yourself, um, you know, what, what you're feeling and whatnot. Reach out to a group like Bigger Than the Trail that is there to help you out. 
Um, and Tommy's put together a really awesome charity there. They're going to help get me out to CCC and um, some of my training updates related to CCC are backed by them. So thank you to Bigger Than the Trail and let's talk to Michael Owen. I'm joined again by Michael Owen. He is an elite ultra runner from Ohio, Midwest ultra runner. Michael, thanks for joining me again, man. Hey, thanks for having me, Rob. Uh, always appreciate you thinking about me with your podcast. You know, I get a lot of feedback. People love hearing from Midwest ultra runners. For some reason, our sport is so focused on, you know, the West Coast, maybe because of the mountains out here. Um, but yeah, it's people people love hearing from you. So yeah, I really appreciate you taking the time. Yeah, I mean, we, you know, our uh, Midwest runners kind of fly under the radar. So um, and maybe that's just due to lack of results, but there's definitely some strong Midwest runners right now. And I think you'll be hearing more names, not just my name, but more names from the Midwest and the East Coast. Yeah, I, I mean, I just had Tyler Siegel on and yeah, there's there's a ton of super solid guys out there and um yeah having grown up in ohio and yeah lived in ohio for quite some time it was cool to actually see you out at races and like being out at mohican when you set the course record there and you like blew the cover off it i i think it was your own record actually that you you beat by like an hour or something crazy um yeah that was one of my better races like um the, the record is kind of obscure because like the old course used to be on a lot of road. And so my first time running was the record. And then I, yeah, I beat it the next year um, on the new course, I guess. Is there any video of you going up the roots of that tree? <laughs> <laughs> I don't think so. Totally random question, but that, that has to hurt your split time. Um, <laughs> I wasn't going up very fast. That's for sure. <laughs> like it's full blown like rock climbing for a while there on Mohican course. That was cool. I think they took that out actually of the race. Oh really? Okay. I heard. It, yeah, I heard they took that whole golly out. Okay. Well, I mean, it'll protect that tree, I guess. So, um, well, the reason you know I've I've been in really close contact here is there's a big race coming up here soon, Western States. Are you, yeah, are you excited? It's kind of been on your radar for a while now. Yeah, I'm excited. You know, it's it's just weird excitement. I don't know, like, I'm I'm just I just don't get as excited about things, I guess, as I did before. But um, yeah, seven years of trying to get into this race, and um, you know, like, put a lot of my focus on it for many years, trying to get in with the lottery, but also trying to get in with golden ticket races. And so at this point, I'm just kind of, I'm excited that I finally got to get in, you know, I finally got into the race. And yeah. um, I think as a race, you know, we're two and a half weeks out now, I think, I think as the race gets closer, like two weeks out, one week out, I'll get, I'll get pretty excited about like racing Western States. Like that's going to be really special. So you're, you're going to race it. I mean, I can't imagine you doing anything else. Especially in the 100-mile distance, it's interesting. A lot of the golden ticket races are of a shorter distance, and I would say your strength comes out. I mean, am I safe to say that? Your strength is after the 100K mark? I think so. You know, I've ran 700-milers, and um, 
with the exception of a couple of the ones I've done out west where I've not really prepared well enough. I've I've finished like fourth place or better. But um, and I think that that might be part of the reason why I haven't got in with the golden ticket races because 50 miles, you know, I, and I, I can still throw down pretty fast in 50 miles, but there's, I mean, the guy, I'm just not as competitive, I guess. Um, yeah. So we'll see. I, I just don't know how competitive I will be at Western States. Like this is, you know, this is the biggest race I've been in from a competition standpoint. So, you know, even though I will be racing it, like it's not like I'll be like competing against Jim Walmsley or anything, you know, at the beginning of the race, like that's not even, I don't think any, I don't think anyone is. <laughs> and if they are, they won't be, they won't be around long. <laughs> I think there might be a couple of guys who try to go with him. Oddly oh, enough. <laughs> yeah. So, it's been seven years. That's just phenomenal. I mean, and you can throw down at a marathon too, by the way. If the listener doesn't doesn't remember, this guy took sixth place at the Columbus Marathon, which is what, a 25,000-person event, 30,000? It's a yeah, big city, big city event. Yeah, that was it's, – it's fun. You know, I, I don't love running on roads, but you, I, I don't know. I just – you can't pass up a good marathon every now and then, you know, just to kind of – um, compare yourself to prior years so I, I still mix it up every now and then with the fast road guys yeah i mean that's awesome and and so it's been seven years so you threw in your name in 2011 and have you watched your fitness level like vastly change over those years has it gotten better has it gotten worse i mean has it basically stayed status quo yeah, I'm, I'm a harsh critic of myself with, in terms of like my training and, you know, seven years in terms of training can be a long time. And for me, that's especially true. I went from, you know, that first year where I was getting into ultras in 2011 or 2010, 2011, I was running, like I averaged over 110 miles for the entire year for two years. And now I'm, you know, I'm lucky if I get one or two weeks a year, the past couple of years of 100 plus. So I don't know if that translates to me not being as fit, um, but it's just it's it's just me realizing that I I can't handle that mileage anymore from a longevity standpoint. And you know, a couple a few years ago when I started realizing that, it it, it was kind of hard to tra- transition into like a lower volume person because you know, when you're a runner, I was, I've been, I've been a runner for over 12 years now. I had always identified with being a high mileage runner. And that was kind of what I was known for amongst my peers or people that knew me as a runner. And I don't know if it's just me being a little bit older. I'm still under 30 years old, so I can't look at myself as being old, but I've got a lot of miles under my belt for being 29 and I can't put down the 150 mile weeks anymore. Like 80 is a lot for me now, but I think at the same time, I've gained a lot of experience with racing, with training. I know for myself, at least what type of training I can get better results with and kind of maximizing, um, my time with training instead of just going out and putting in multi, you know, back to back to back 25 mile days. Like I used to, like, it's just not within my realm right now with, uh, the way my body can handle it and family life and kids and all that good stuff. I mean, have, have kids affected your, your race 
at all? Like, are you a smarter racer because you now have that perspective of, like, being a, a family guy? And, like, how has experience affected your races? Yeah, I think I think having kids translates in, into positive experience for ultra running. Like, my, my first 100-mile win at Mohican in 2015 was two and a half months after um, my wife and I's daughter was born. And, uh, you know, lack of sleep during that time, adjusting to having a child for the first time, but I still managed to win that race. And I don't know if it was just like, I I used that in a way during the race for like positive energy and positive emotions. And I, so I think that that can help. Um, and just, you know, I'm probably a little bit more patient now with racing and training. Um, and yeah, just like having the having my kids at my races means a lot to me and you know there's a level of like not wanting to disappoint them even though like they wouldn't be disappointed they they wouldn't know the difference between last place and first place but um there is that like you know you can you can take that you know experience and make it into a very good positive thing for yourself i'm trying to recall your your second child was that like uh was he born the day after jfk or something really close right <laughs> so that was a surprise um he, he he was born four days before jfk okay okay and he yeah he was seven weeks premature um so you know jfk is the third weekend of november and he wasn't due until the first week of january so that was quite the um Quite the scare. That's a big, but, big surprise, yeah. That's a, fortunately, you know, he, he's really healthy now. He's six months old. But, um, and, and like, props to my wife. Like, we talked about it, you know, there day or two after he was born. And I basically made, like, a Friday evening decision to drive the five hours to Maryland to run JFK. And <laughs> your, your stress levels had to be, like, off the charts. I just did... It, we just we just had a baby two weeks ago, and every now and then I get a lunch time where the baby and my wife were asleep, and so I'd sneak out for like an hour or two while they were asleep, and I could tell my muscles were acting different from the stress level of having a baby. Um, yeah, just hoping was, everything goes well. So I can't imagine right. your, your body was operating at full uh, you know capabilities there. Right. You know, I had four days, like, well, three days where things looked really good. You know, they, he was in the hospital for a month, um, you know, being tended to by children's nation or nationwide children's hospital. But, um, you know, once, once my wife and I kind of got the like positive feedback from the doctors, we felt pretty confident, you know, like if I were, if I was gone for a day and a half, like we'd be okay. And, you know, but it, it was stressful, you know, like, you just feel kind of guilty in a way. Um, and I battled with that, like just making that call to, to go and race. And my wife is just always so supportive. And, you know, she was like, I didn't want to go unless she told me to go. And she did. Um, and so my sister and I, and I actually drove to Maryland. We got there like at 1.30 a.m. The race started at, I don't know, 6 a.m. or whatever. And, uh, yeah, and, and the race didn't go super well. I mean, it, it did go well. I got second place. But... I could definitely feel like my fatigue way higher. Yeah. 
And and so you got you got beat up by Eric Sensman. I'm trying to recall. Is that correct? Yeah, Sensman won. Okay. Uh, yeah, he he ran a really good race there. So I'll see him here in a couple of weeks at Western States. Yeah, very cool. Um, and so, do you have your eye on any certain runner for Western States? Are you like okay? I'm gonna you know stick with uh, Bronco Billy, like you know just. Because he always runs the smart Western states, so are, are you just going to run your own race and like go off field, and you don't care who you're running, who's in front of you, who's behind you, and you're just going to do your own thing? I mean, I definitely will run on field, um, but at the same time, there's definitely runners that I respect and kind of know that they'll run a smart race, like like you mentioned, Jeff Browning. Um, always is smart uh, Ian Sharman he's finished in the top 10 like eight straight years like those are the type of people that are really smart and the types of runners that I probably would emulate um, just in my own racing like I'm not the guy who goes up front at the beginning of a race no matter what race it is so I'm, I'm gonna be writing down like some pace charts for myself and I've I've done really well in the past with like writing out a pace plan and sticking to it and so if i feel really confident about like having a nice pace plan i'll try to stick with that but also be willing to um deviate from it if i'm feeling worse or if i'm feeling better or if it's later in the race and somebody's you know if i'm feeling like racing i might have to just you know run with whoever's there instead of just running with the pace chart so i don't know it'll, it'll be a mixture i think i think i'll run on feel when it comes down to it and so I'm, we were – I was fortunate enough to go for a run with you um, in Leadville. It seems like you're in the Breckenridge area doing altitude training. There seems to be something behind that. There's some kind of logic. I mean, you're two and a half weeks you know, out from Western states. How much of a benefit is altitude training going to have? And then are you doing anything heat training? Because that's, that's like the big question mark is – Man, if it's 110 out, you know, middle of the day there, it, it turns ugly. Like, how are you prepared for the heat? Well, I hope there's a logic for being out here. I'll say that. I know you uh, just wanted to come out here to hang out, but. Well, yeah. I, I just, I mean, I, part of it, like, I don't know if, if like, this, like, I'm, I'm sleeping at 10,000 feet, and I've gone up above 13,000 feet twice. I've only been here for four days. So I don't, yeah, I don't know if that's like super beneficial for Western states, but for me personally, like I love the mountains and even though I don't feel super great right now with the altitude, I still feel really energized because it's, you know, it's been four years since I've been in Colorado in the high Rockies and that energizes me. Um, so I think from a mental standpoint, being here is going to help, um, just kind of have this like sense of refreshment of being in the mountains and you know and and i can still do a little bit of like um specific like specific training for western states so i have you know i've done a little bit of heat training like before i came out here in ohio we had some really hot days and so i wore extra layers and ran in the middle of the day i also had a buddy or have a buddy who has a sauna and i did a couple of sauna sessions um and so at this point I'll probably do a couple more runs with like extra layers on, but um, yeah, we'll, we'll just kind of go with that. And hopefully, hopefully I'm heat acclimated as well as 
altitude acclimated and all that good stuff. Nice. And I mean, any other pre-race, pre-Western States thoughts? Like, are you, cause it's been such a journey, seven years of waiting for this race. Like, like kind of what's your final, are you just excited to finally just get out there and test yourself on this course that you've been thinking about for almost a decade? Like what's, what's kind of like your final, like pre-race thoughts there? Yeah. I've, I don't know. I mean, I'm, I am excited for sure. Like that's a great emotion I've got for this race. Um, in one way I'm like, and not, not, this is not in a bad way, but I'm just glad, like, I'll be really happy to finally get on a line and not have like, and know that I don't have to wait on it anymore. You know what I'm saying? Um, I don't quite know how to put that into words, but it's, in a way, it's been a burden, but not in a bad way. Like, it's it's just been, like, I question myself. Like, why do I put Western states so important yeah. in my life? You know, like, yeah. many people do. You know, there's so many people who, every year, Western states is their thing. And and I wonder why that is. You know, I, there's lots of reasons. Like, I can rattle off many reasons that I want to do this race. Um, but, like, you question, like, is it, should it be that important? Should I be putting that much energy and thought into it? Um, you know, in and, and, and one, one way, I'm, I'm happy that I had seven years to explore other races. You know, like, I wouldn't have had the fortunate you know, ability to run Mohican for two years if I would have gotten Western States. I ran the Bighorn 100 last year um, in place of Western States, and those were all great experiences. Um, and so, like, you know, Western States is very important to me, and... Um, I'll really try to take advantage of my opportunity to run it. Um, at the same time, though, like next year, and you know, if I don't get in next year or whatever, um, I'll just have to kind of shift my focus and find another another amazing race to get into. Yeah, I I respect that, and I'm just relieved for you that you're finally going to go out there and you know be able to give it a go. Because I mean, you're you're representing a lot of the Midwest ultra running community. I know a lot of, a lot of those guys look up to you and, um, a lot of those guys run your, your races that you're the race director of. So, um, it's really cool. And I, I know I'm going to kind of shift gears cause we had a lot of really great conversations out on the trails together and having lunch, we were talking Chris Danucci, you know, he like you has, you know, huge respect for, states and i think he's run it like three times now and just continues to get better at the race but this year's kind of an outlier i think he got injured maybe at the last western states like what are your thoughts on him um you know taking a breather from the race and and deciding to not do it this year give himself a little bit of time yeah and we were talking about that at lunch there the other day and it's really rare to see that see someone pull out of the race because um he just had a really good race at, i think it was the quicksilver 50k actually yep. um so like he's not from what i know I don't, I don't know chris um from just except for from just like following on social media but uh you know he pulled out of the race and gave up his slot and um i think that's really rare you know and commendable at the same time because um most people the way the format is with the lottery and with your tickets um, and with, you know, 
not being able to defer your entry or whatnot, you don't have any benefit of giving up your slot. You know, like he he'll have to reset next year. Um, and so that that was kind of um, respect. Yeah, I was really respectful that he did that um, because like if I was in that same boat, you know, because I've waited seven years. If something were to happen to me from not from now until the race, like I would. I would still probably try to start the race. And that's just kind of the fact of the matter. Um, you know, unless it was like a completely debilitating injury, like because I've waited seven years and put in lottery tickets every, you know, all those seven years. Um, if I were not to start the race at this point, I would restart my process back to one ticket next year. And that like, it doesn't like the system, the way the system is, you're you're being um you know there's no incentive for giving up your spot or there's you know you're really at a loss if you do give up your spot or if you do get injured in that time period from december to the race um so chris you know like that was that was impressive that he realized that he wasn't going to be able to do as well as he could and gave his spot up to the next person on the wait list i just i think it's smart in terms of i mean if you're slightly injured and you know the level of running that it takes to finish states like longevity in the sport and i've even middle of the pack back to the pack runner like me if i have something going on with one of my ankles it's sometimes it's a little sketchy even for me to like okay i've i've booked the hotel i booked the flights like you know i have a lot invested in, in this race and i have a niggle in my ankle like you know, I, I feel the pressure from middle of the pack to back of the pack on a non Western States race. So I, mean, I, mean, imagine, I can't imagine the level of stress you guys are under. <laughs> like I mean it's it's the same for everyone, I think. Like mid back of the pack, like if you've put your name in the lottery for five years and you finally get p- picked and then three months later you get injured, like you don't want to give up that spot because you you know you've waited so long and you know they they did institute that new um, that new policy where if like um, if you don't hit a qualifier and you're not able to enter the lottery you get to um, defer it to next year but that doesn't include people that already got picked like that's only like pre pre lottery results basically is the way that policy works if I understood it right yeah so that's, yeah it's a like strange it's, gray area I mean. <laughs> In a, in a way, like, and this is nothing against Western states. Like, I think they're a very smart organization. But in a way, it almost, um, it almost, like, makes people make bad decisions with their health. You know, you know, and, and that's that might sound bad, but like, there's probably going to be a handful of people that start Western states who shouldn't be starting it because of a health reason. Um, yeah. But they didn't want to give up their spot and their chance to run and arguably the most prestigious 100 miler or ultra marathon in the world i almost feel like danucci should be able to like swap spots with the uh number 16 wait list for next year something weird but i don't know there's it's just become such a popular race there's um there's always going to be some kind of issue with it um but hats off to danucci and um his girlfriend jenny actually ran a bunch of miles with at javelina really nice people really truly nice people and i i think he's making a very smart decision so i just wanted to share kind of a 
you know, part of our conversation we had while we were having tacos in Leadville. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, that was that was a cool uh you know, when he announced that, I was like, Wow, that's that's really uh surprising in a way, but also um very smart. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And we were talking a little bit about training for ultras and I figured you know let's let's explore that just for a few minutes like our most middle of the pack back of the pack because you you do a bunch of group runs and you kind of run the you know the training for the ultra community in Ohio in a lot of spots I know like southern Ohio a lot of guys look up to you are middle of the pack guys doing training correct right now do you think for the most part I mean, I think so. I mean, there's, and, and I want to make it clear that I'm not a, uh, you know, I have no past experience in exercise science or physiology. Like, I'm just just a guy who uh, does ultra running and has some years' experience. But, um, yeah, there, there's some things that I've learned over the years. And um, I think it applies for not just mid to back the Packers, but also to some of the faster guys. But, um, you know, I think one thing that kind of, rings true is that um a lot of ultra runners aren't running their hard days hard enough and um sometimes not running their easy days slow enough um i'm, I'm guilty of that honestly well, i've uh, called myself out on that one yep um you know and so like i look at it as like a uh, you know on a scale of one to ten if one is your fastest and ten is your slowest you don't want your hard days to be a four and your easy days to be a six. You know, you want, you want there to be a clear separation between your hard and your slow. Um, and obviously it's not as simple as that, but, um, I, I think a lot of people just kind of get in this rut of like just slogging out miles and then they're never really working on like their engine and like really ramping up their like threshold or, um, lactate, threshold and um not they're not tapping into like a faster pace um and and maybe that's where um you know not having like that background sometimes for some people um of running faster races or faster workouts um you know a lot of people get an ultra running they're like oh ultra running i get to run slow for a lot for a long time but i think people would benefit i think they'd see a lot of upside at least they would have a different variable in their training if they were to go out and just run as fast as they can for short periods of time and really get their, you know, their aerobic, um, anaerobic threshold up. Um, that way when they get into a race, they'll always be going slower than those faster workouts. I mean, that's, that's how I've always pictured it was like getting out there at least for, for when I do have a good focus, like harder run, it's like, okay, eight minute mile like anything beyond that like clearly i'm right i'm right at that eight minute pace where that's my personal like threshold and so if i can be super conservative during a hundred miler and start off at a 10 minute pace between 10 and nine minute pace like i'm never going to come close to approaching that point where i know it's like the point of no return where i'll be in the bushes for whatever reason <laughs> um so do you believe in the 80-20 like general principle on on 80% of your runs being at a super easy pace or an easy pace and then 20% at a, at that harder level or it, like what kind of percentages do you do personally and I don't know um 
I've definitely heard that a lot over the years. And um, I actually just for myself, like it's pretty bad. I, I, don't, I don't have a coach and I, I don't even really plot out my runs that far in advance anymore. Like I used to. Um, so maybe I'm, maybe I'm a hypocrite saying all this stuff, but, um, 80, yeah, 80, 20 is probably a good, you know, rule of thumb. Um, like for me, I, I haven't done a specific speed session in like a month probably. Um, that's just go up to like the Leadville track and just, just give it a go. Maybe. <laughs> is, there, is there a track in Leadville? I, I, don't, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I was running around the soccer field this morning in Breckenridge. It, it was pretty nice. But I don't know. I don't even know if they have tracks out here. Um, but, yeah, I, I just – I like the 80-20. It's easy um, in terms of my training days because I like to have one day off so my weeks are kind of evenly distributed and um, – yeah, I'm just referring to Matt Fitzgerald's book, and it, it's a decent read. It's it's something I think a lot of people should think about, and I've noticed making my easier runs easier has reduced my inj- injuries. Um, you know, throughout the years or two years, two and a half years that I've been running, like I initially uh, I was reflecting back on how I started running, and all my runs were way beyond. Um, where they should have been. They were definitely, um, it was 80% of my runs were fast runs and 20% were slow when it should have been flipped on its head. Yeah. It's yeah, just one component, you know. Yeah, it's one of those things too. Like if you are running too fast for your easy days, you're not recovering as quick. You're not as fresh the next day. And so you kind of, like it's this like cycle of no return and you kind of yeah. get discouraged and you don't want to do it anymore. And um, there's nothing wrong with just going out there and, running slow for a little while yeah and i i get that question too like i'll because i'm always pretty open with my training i know you are too strav and everything and i think it takes a lot of a lot more discipline to run slow so i'm i'm actually a lot a lot of times more proud to post a 10 mile run at 11 minute pace or you know 10 and a half minute pace with a little bit of vert but showing like you know I'm disciplined. Like I'm not going to even come close to approaching it. Like I know by just how I'm breathing that I'm getting a decent workout in. Um, but I have the discipline not to just go out and blast, you know, an eight minute mile out of nowhere and like screw up my whole 10 mile training run. Like, and I'm obviously middle of the pack. So I have nothing to prove in terms of speed where you might feel the pressure, you know, on Strava, posting our our effort up to mosquito pass there um with well, our... there was there was no ability for me to push the effort there on the with the, <laughs> with the way i felt with the altitude but uh yeah you're right they like strava does kind of like have that uh pressure of wanting to look good every day but at the same time like sometimes i go on a little hiatus from strava just kind of like make my runs private for like a week or so and like get away from the kudos and get away from the comments just because um it can it can put pressure on you and it can change the way you would do th- things um and i think i'm pretty good at that but um yeah like like you said like you should like training cycles have you know they have a certain structure and if you don't follow the structure then you know, you're not optimizing your 
yeah, performance or your chances of running good. Can I just tell you after our, I did about eight mile, I think eight and a quarter miles with 2,200 feet of gain at what an average of 12,000 feet, roughly yeah, speaking. Think, yeah. We started at 11, got up to like 13, five. I got home and I was walking around and I felt like I just walked to the park and back. Like it was the weirdest thing ever. I haven't had that like light workout and we we're doing some camera work and you know, for the YouTube video, um, I feel super confident going into the Leadville marathon now. Like that yeah, was, that was a good one. I'm glad you felt good. Cause I don't, but <laughs> really, I, I didn't feel anything. It was so weird. My eyes were a little bloodshot, but other than that, like no, I, felt I felt like I, I just walked my son to the park or something. It was weird. It's great. No, you look good. And, um, I think you'll, you'll like learn a lot from having that course too. Well, I'm sure now that I've said this publicly, I'm going to blow up at the marathon, but Hey, (laughs) it was, it was a good run. Um, what do you, in terms of training, how do you handle hill training? Cause, uh, there's some serious hill climbs at, at States and, I'm just trying to picture, like, how does an elite go about even training day-to-day on hill training, and how can I do hill training better? Um, I've got some thoughts on how to do it better. I should listen to my own advice. Um, I'm just, I mean, this whole year I've just been putting in a lot of big vert runs in Ohio, and um, I've done a little bit of hard stuff. So, like, what I what I like, you know, so I'm from Ohio, so, like, I'm not getting – much more than like 300 feet for one climb like that's about the max i can get in southern ohio but the good thing is i can do it a lot if i want to and rack up a lot of miles or a lot of vert in a short period of time but um i think uh something that i've been incorporating a little bit more lately is running really hard on the uphills just like i don't want to say like maxing out my effort on an uphill but like pretty you know pretty high intensity um, on the ups and running hard on the downs too, and then recovering and then doing that again. And what I found is that it's just like, it just gets your body into this like state where you're just gasping for air. Your lungs are burning, your legs are burning. And then, uh, and then maybe doing, doing a long run the next day or doing a medium to long run the next day and learning how to run on tired legs. And then that way, when you get to a race like a Western States or something, um, yeah, you'll never you'll never feeling that rough. You'll never have to like tap into that exertion level that you did in some of the workouts. And so you might only be doing a minute of hard uphill running in your training, but that four mile uphill at Western States might not feel as bad. Yeah, it reminds me of Alex Hutchinson's quote on when I was talking to him, he was like, you know, to get better at suffering, you got to practice suffering essentially is what he said. Um, and I'll tell you what, yeah, doing, doing a hard hill repeat session and then following that up with like a longer run, even at an easier pace. Like, wow. I've been, I've been in some serious pain before doing that. And so would you do your hill repeat session or like those harder uphill, um, parts in, like the twenty percent of your training, would you cons- would you hit into that kind of lactic threshold area? For sure. So like, okay. you know, do away with like pace at that point because, you know, 
you're when you're going that hard on uphill, it may only look like you're going, you know, if you're not looking at it in depth, or if, you know, if somebody else is not looking at it in depth, it may only look like you're doing your easy day, but then you take the vert or the terrain, and you're actually like going, you know, lactate, you know, like high threshold or you know, yeah. anaerobic, um, on those workouts. So like, from the untrained eye, it looks like you're just kind of, you know, going out for your normal run with a pace. So like, yeah, for sure, that, like that's a hard, like that's a very um, dedicated hard session, max out workout type thing. Yeah, I, I mean, I totally agree. At least around here, some of my best 5K efforts have been, like, 24-minute type runs where I'm sure most people are just like, oh, okay, cool. But, like, I, I know myself, you know, there was almost a 1,000 feet of gain or whatever in there. Um, yep. Which totally adjusts everything. Um, so what, a, what other... Uh, what other conversations did we have in Leadville that um, you've been thinking about at all? I know you went out into Quandry Peak, so you've been above fourteen thousand, right? Yeah, Quandry was uh, fourteen two. Um, did that this morning, and uh, you know, like I said earlier, like more than anything, like I don't know if this is Western States training or not, but it, it, like, I just love being up in the mountains, and that was a cool spot. I never hadn't been up Quandary yet in the past. And, um, it was a pretty cool peak, really accessible, um, from the trailhead. But, uh, it was, it was a nice, nice morning run. Um, I didn't really run on the uphill, <laughs> but, uh, I was able to run do on that one. <laughs> yeah. It's, it gets steep, steep at the end. Yeah. If, if you've ever done it, uh, it's, it's fairly like buffed out until tree line and then it gets pretty rocky. And then the last like a uh, thousand feet or is like, crammed in like a half a mile or less or something like that like it was a it was definitely like walk for two minutes and pause for me at least uh today <laughs> but yeah. yeah when you get to the top it's like that mountaintop experience where you're just like you might be super worn out but you're elated at the view and uh just feels really good to be up there it's a good one yeah i've done that and i did it was there snow up there still yeah the, there was some snow but not much man it not was yeah, it's, it's all it's crazy how fast it's all melted this year. There was a good amount of snow when I did it, so every footstep was like, yeah, you had to work for it, and I was passing people that were like puking, and it was a good 14er experience. It was, it's my only one I've done. I'm glad you made it out there. Yeah, it's funny because I passed a lot of people today, and like they were like kids coming down like in Nike Freeze and stuff. I was like, man, how do you guys walk up this mountain in Nike Freeze? <laughs> That's funny. So I'm going to switch it up, and I haven't done this before, but I get questions all the time from people, and I really, truly try to make an effort to get back to every single person that sends me an email or, you know, a, a, you know, a message on uh, in Instagram. So Brian sent me a message. I'm looking to complete my first 50-miler. Um, he's from New York. He's trying to figure out a training plan. He has no idea where to start. I love this part of the email. He says, so I figured asking someone that seems to be a regular guy that isn't running seven-minute miles for 50 miles would be a good guy to ask. I, I actually really like hearing that. Right? Um, so he is asking just quick tips on how to prepare for a 50-miler around 
Canterbury Lake. Um, and he's just doing this like self-supported. This isn't a race or anything. Oh, I mean, cool. from my perspective, I would say like get a marathon training plan under your belt first. Get him just an easy like road marathon in there, and then work your way to a 50k. And then after you've done maybe one or two 50ks, the 50 miler is on the horizon. Is that is that what you'd sort of recommend? I know if you're yeah. not looking for pace, you're just looking to finish. I mean, I like to talk when, whenever I talk to people looking to get into the sport, and I'm fortunate in Southern Ohio where. Um, over the past like two or three years, there's just been this huge increase of people running ultras for the first time. And um, I've been fortunate to like kind of be within that community. Um, I like to talk about the other things aside from training, like putting yourself in uncomfortable situations, you know, whether that be running at night for a few hours or um, like we talked about earlier on the podcast, like doing a really hard workout, but then coming back and knowing that next run's going to suck but pushing through it um, or running, you know, in the heat of the day, it's just like, you know, like, like Alex Hutchinson said in his book, Endure, like you can train your body to suffer. And if you don't, if you avoid those things when you're training, like if you try to make your training smooth, if you try to make it go perfect, then you're never going to experience the hardships until they happen in a race and, or in your long run or whatever. So like trying to recreate suffer yeah. before the actual event, you know, like yeah. it's hard, it's hard to recreate suffering because like sometimes like you might experience something for the first time in the middle of the race. But if you're, if you're mentally equipped to handle that because of the things you do in training, then I think you're a lot better. Like you have a lot higher odds of like getting through it or finishing a race or finishing your first 50 mile run. Um, when it, when the time comes for that. Yeah, I totally, totally agree. And I know you've probably become an expert at it, but I'd recommend listening to your body too. Like if you feel that weird sensation in one of your ankles or wherever it is, like it, it does take some training to learn when to actually like sit out the next day because you're going to break yourself if you don't. And then also knowing when that's just dehydration or, you know, some one-off item that you you can just run through. Like, it's not a big deal within 5 or 10 miles. Like, so it does take a little bit of experience and getting some base mileage built up um, to be able to fine-tune how you listen to your body and how you receive those pain messages to your brain and, and what to ignore and what not to ignore. But then, I mean, my only other thought would just be from my experience, which is very limited, two and a half years of running, I would say to finish a 50-mile race, you need to have a few 50-mile weeks of running. As simple as that. I mean, you got to be out there for long runs to practice nutrition and hydration. And hydration isn't just water. It's balancing electrolytes. But, yeah, I back of the envelope for me has personally been, okay, I have a – 50k race like i need to be doing per week 50k so that my body can at least adapt over the long run to sustain that effort i mean is that generally safe to say in your opinion yeah i mean i think it's a good way of looking at it from like a mental like confidence building standpoint like for me like 
you know, this, the same thing can't be said about like a hundred miler, you know, like yeah, it can't do hundred yeah. mile weeks. Um, but like, like you said, like don't jump into zero to 50 right away because you need that time to experience what types of foods you can handle, what types of energy source, like what, you know, the consistency of the energy coming into you, uh, you can handle. And, um, you know, I've seen, I've seen some people jump into ultra running too fast. Um, so like, you know, you gotta be patient at the same time. You also have to be confident about what you're doing. So, um, you know, when, when the day comes, you kind of forget about your past and just kind of focus on the moment, the day ahead and, you know, managing, managing everything on that day. But yeah, I think that's, that's a perfect place to end. Michael Owen talking about patience. It's been seven years, man. And you just got to let it all go and, and just look forward, right? Exactly. Yeah, like when I took the line in Squaw Valley on June 23rd, um, I'll just look up the escarpment and on to the next aid station. Uh, not think about the seven years prior. <laughs> um, yeah, it's, it's funny. Uh seven years it's not a long long time but it seems like a long time for me and uh on race day though i'll just have to be patient in the moment and uh you know just like i've been for the past seven years uh on race day it's going to be just as important to be patient as well that's awesome well michael thanks for taking all the time throughout the week with me and i really did enjoy that run we went on um I've looked up to you since, you know, my first ultra was your ultra, Thunder Bunny 50K. And, and where can people follow you on social media and, and what races are you directing? Yeah, so all my social handles are just like my last name, Owen Running. Um, and then the races I direct, it's a group that I started called SEOTR. So uh, it stands for Southeastern Ohio Trail Runners. And so we put on a handful of races throughout the year. and put on a new race in November called the Shawnee 50, which I think is going to be an amazing race. It's got over 11,000 feet of elevation gain in Southern Ohio. And it's going to be a rugged for Ohio. That's amazing. (laughs) It's one loop too. So like it's, we're not cramming things in. We're just putting one loop out there with 11,000 feet. So people should check it out. I think it's going to be a great race. It's going to be like like the way I'm kind of looking at it and I've ran the course. So it's really cool. Um, It's just like that, old-fashioned remote authentic ultra marathon that people really get a really great intro like not not even an intro but just like a great experience in the sport of ultra running that yeah that's awesome and yeah i, I just i just had a flashback you said old school and i i just thought about horty for some weird reason yeah uh do you want to end uh, on on your experience with um <laughs> was it where was it that he first uh you first met him yeah we were talking uh i think what brought that up the other day was in the jurek book uh his experience with dr horton david, <laughs> david horton and on his appalachian trail record you know for anyone who doesn't know uh, dr horton he's the race director of the hellgate 100k the promised land 50k and he's the former race director of the Mount masochist 50 miler there in Virginia and he's just like he's your old school kind of the one of the founding fathers of the sport the way I like to look at it and uh, 
I was fortunate to live in Lynchburg for a short time and got to know him really well. But my first experience with Horton was uh, was when I first moved there. Him and I were at a trailhead together, and he had heard that I was moving into town, and it was a really it was it was a really brief exchange. But he basically just asked me. He he had heard that I ran my first hundred miler like a couple months before that, and he he asked me how I did. And after he heard how I did, he asked me if I puked. And I said no, and all he said all he said was, "Well, you didn't run hard enough." And he rolled up his he rolled up his window, and that was that was our first uh, that was our first time meeting, and I'll always remember that. And you know, fortunately now I've I ran a few of his races and have stayed in contact with Horton, and he's a huge inspiration. And um, he was he's also a huge inspiration for my race directing. I think he does it right. I love the style he puts out there with his races and. Hopefully the Shawnee 50 kind of has that same type of feel at it that he has had at his races. That's awesome. I I remember now talking all about that, and I just had to I had to bring it up. I know we were just ending, but yeah, I, there are, I yeah, appreciate there's, it. There's a, there's a million Horton stories, and and uh, yeah, everyone should have their Horton experience. So so <laughs> Jur- Jurek didn't didn't uh, like really uh depict him any different than he actually is like <laughs> no nah, he was pretty good with the, his depiction of Horton <laughs> in the book yeah and for the listeners background we uh interviewed michael owen for the full episode um podcast episode 11 you can check him out and then we follow up for the uh columbus marathon recap and hopefully we'll have a uh a, a states recap here shortly so Michael, thanks for taking all the time, man. Really had fun. Yeah, thanks, Rob. And it's been fun hanging out with you here in Colorado. And uh, I'll look forward to talking to you after Western States. Thanks. Thanks again to Michael Owen for taking so much time uh, between shooting the video and then doing the separate interviews and um, doing this interview. And again, Podcast 11, if you want to hear from his full story um, that's available for you also so huge thank you again to hammer nutrition for the product giveaway thank you to Sufferfest beer bigger than the trail thank you to the patreon supporters and if you're interested in some training for ultra gear check out www.trainingforultra.com thank you guys have a great week train smart and uh yeah i have hopefully a, a a fun episode coming up for you. I'm not going to uh, give anything away yet, but thanks guys. See ya.